So, Andy, I'm going to ask you right now if you'd come and uh, share with us from the Word and Scripture and, and pray for us this morning. Then we will have our morning offering. Uh, if you'll turn with me, I'm reading from John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 11. If you would all stand with me as well, appreciate that. And this is Jesus uh, speaking here. This is his words. Uh, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither you, unless, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for, for not coming to you every day like we do today. Father, it's such an honor to be in your presence, to be with you. It's an honor to join together as Christians to worship you, Father. Father, we just are so privileged that you abide in us and that we can bear fruit all because of you, Father. Father, make us productive. Father, thank you so much for your love. Just pour into us. Let it abide in us so much that it spills out to others, Father. Make us your disciples. Father, we just relish in the joy that you fill us with, that it all comes from you. Father, we ask that you bless our time today as we worship you, that we give you all the glory. We ask that you be with the pastor as he delivers your word. Use him, Father, to open our hearts and our minds and to draw us all closer to you, Father. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As you're being seated, we remind you this morning of those children's church today because of uh, observing the Lord's Supper together. So we'll just ask our ushers to come right now as Marcia plays.
Would you stand with us this morning? So I, uh, the first song this morning is Psalm 46. And I wrestled with just going to Psalm 46 and using that to preface this song, but it seemed too easy. Um, so I started looking up what I could say and I found four different places that I'm going to read from. So Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The next is Deuteronomy 31.6. It says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the last is Romans 8, 38 and 39. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Though the oceans roar, you are the Lord of all. The one who calms the wind and raves and makes my heart be still. Though the earth gives away, the mountains move into the sea. The nations rage, I know my God is in control. Though the oceans roar, you are the Lord of all. There's the one who calms the wind and waves and makes my heart be still. Moving to the sea, the nations rage. I know my God is in control. I'm sorry, but I might have to ask you to stand back up as we read God's Word together, so I'm not used to transitioning this way. So let's stand up and uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't feel like standing up, that's all right. But Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Um, it's the Scripture passage we'll be in this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. But Ephesians chapter 4 in the New Testament, beginning with verse 7. says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. And saying He ascended, what does it mean but that He had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Verse 10, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it's built itself up in love. Let's pray together. Father, thank You 
for the body of Christ and thank you for Christ and thank you for this miracle of grace that's worked in our hearts and drawn us to Christ. And Lord, thank you that we are here this morning to meet openly and freely to proclaim the resurrection as we just did together that Christ has died and risen and He's coming again. We may be able to sing this gospel. We've gathered in small groups this week and, and in Bible studies and now this morning in Sunday school classes to, to encourage and exhort one another. And now as we come, Father, to the preaching of Your Word, we ask again that our hearts would be stirred and affected deeply by this Word. Show us, Lord, what it means to be the body of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So the past couple of Sundays, uh, I began preaching a series of messages that kind of reflect what's covered in our membership classes because what we know about the church from preaching a few messages uh, prior to that in Ephesians is that the church comprised of all true believers is God's holy dwelling place. And First Baptist Church is a local church. It's a local manifestation of the church, the universal church. In other words, First Baptist Church of Mount Carmel, we, all of us who are true believers that make up this church, we are God's holy dwelling place. This community is supposed to be seen in how we live together as a church and our life together as a church, that we are God's holy dwelling place. And how we interact with them on our mission fields, that we are God's holy dwelling place. That is a weighty calling indeed. And it's our vision that we want to grow the way the church, the way God would have us to. We want to be the church that God would have us be. And as we consider our life together as a church and as we try to communicate in our membership classes, we want to take people who are not believers and help them begin with the gospel. We, want to, we can't be a member of this church unless you've been born again. So they must begin with the gospel and, and be born again and follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Then, as we were reminded of last Sunday, we want to see that believer understand the, the need to be part of a local church and, be, and to connect with a church where they can continue in the faith. You're not going to continue in the faith and endure and persevere as God would have you to unless you're connected with a local church. And so that would entail... Uh, connecting in the sense of formalizing, becoming a member of this church. And so this morning we take up the word grow. This We want to reiterate this morning that we want to see people grow in Christ through discipleship. So we want to see somebody who's not saved get saved. We want to see people born again, amen, and begin with the gospel and get baptized and get connected with the church. And then we want to see them grow. We don't want to see people just remain babies in Christ, but to grow in Christ through discipleship. And then engage their mission fields. And so that's our mission and vision as a church family. So as we consider this this morning, I want us to think about that passage from John chapter 6 that I just read a few minutes ago. And consider how Jesus stood before this crowd of people that were following Him, telling them that the only way to have life, to have eternal life, was to eat His body and to drink His blood. And the Scripture says in John chapter 6 that they grumbled about this. They, were, they took offense at what Jesus said. And in John chapter 6, verse 66, it says some of those same people didn't follow Jesus any longer. Some of the crowd went away. And Jesus looked at them and He said, Will you go away also? And then Jesus it didn't just stop from there. As Jesus went along, He had a betrayer in His midst named Judas that we all know about. 
And when he got to Jerusalem, once the crowds got over Palm Sunday, some of the same ones shouted, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And then they took this one that said he's the King of Kings and they nailed him to a cross and put a sign over his head that said, this is the King of the Jews. And they walked by and they wagged their heads and they laughed at him, they mocked and they insulted him. They spit upon him before they crucified him. And he looked like he was an utter failure. But three days later he rose again. Amen. And he reigns as King. Or at least that's what we say. The world still laughs. The preaching of the cross is to those that perish foolishness. So the world is still laughing today. Many are, or at least indifferent to this Christ. People that we work with, people in our families, we say He's King. He's the Christ. He is Lord. That He is living. He didn't just die. He wasn't just a man. We're saying he's, he's more, He's King. God's vision is that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that most certainly will happen. How is it that God is going to work through First Baptist Church, through His church, to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Son of God? What's God doing? God, God's vision is in plan for Christ, His church, and for, and for First Baptist Church. I want to share that with you this morning. What's God doing to, to, to fill the earth with His plan and His purposes in the world? Well, I want to share three things with you from this passage of Scripture this morning. Number one is this. He's filling the earth with the body of Christ. He's filling the earth with the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church. It's a metaphor that Paul often uses. Sometimes he uses the building, a building metaphor. But here he mixes his metaphor some and he mentions a body in this passage of Scripture along with a building. So he's filling the earth with the church. That's his vision. As he wants the whole earth to be filled with the body of Christ, the church. Christ is the head and he wants the whole earth to be filled with the body. Jesus reigns as king and he wants the whole earth to be aware that Christ is Lord and Christ stands upon the earth in the form of his church. Christ's feet are upon the earth. You're his hands and we are his feet. He's filling the earth with the body of Christ. And so I was talking with uh, Tim Laswell this week, and he was talking about our speakers uh, right there. And he said, if, to have better sound in, our, in this sanctuary, that we need to move those speakers. They need to be moved further up, and we need a few more speakers so that the whole sanctuary is filled with uh, the, the full sound. Because there are some places in this sanctuary, and you may be sitting in some, where there are dead spots, and it's harder to hear than others. And so... They need to be positioned in such a way that there are no dead spots in the sanctuary. Now, I mention that to illustrate God's vision is that the whole earth be filled with a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's the Son of God. And there not be any dead spots on the entire earth. That everywhere, people will know that Jesus is Lord. And He's doing that through His church. Look at your Bible if you don't believe me. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, first of all, and notice what it says. Verse 22 says, And He put all things under His feet. This is chapter 1, verse 22. He put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things 
to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is his body. Then we look over in this passage of Scripture, having explained the gospel in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. He wants us to walk according to verse 1. He wants us to walk out this call. He wants us to walk according to the call for which we've been, by which we've been called. What is it that's given to the church to live together in unity, filling the earth with the reality of Jesus' kingship? What's God going to do for His church other than save them? What's He going to do for His church so that with the church will be living in such a way that there are no dead spots in the world and people will observe the church and see Jesus is alive? Increasingly so. What I want you to look at in your Bible here is, in, again, in verse 7, he says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This, is, this means that what has happened is that Christ, had, God, in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, has given each of us a gift. He's gifted the church. He's given us spiritual gifts. Well, before I plunge into that too much, I want you to see that what, how this happened is that when he, it says when he, quoting from the Old Testament, he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. When he ascended implies that he had descended and he has ascended again. He came from heaven and to this earth, it says the lower regions of the earth. That does not mean he went to Hades, to hell in this passage of scripture. It means he went, he went from the, from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. He went to the earth. He took on flesh, the incarnation. That's what we remind ourselves of when we took that bread this morning. And he came to this earth and through his work on the cross and his resurrection, having ascended, now he does what verse 7 says. He's, he's giving gifts to the church. He's filling the earth with the body of Christ by gifting the church. You see this? We've not only been saved by grace through faith in Christ, but each one of us has also been gifted by grace through the reign of Christ. So we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, but we're gifted by Christ through the reign of Christ. He reigns. He has victory over everything, and so he gives gifts to his church. So that's point number two. He's filling the earth with the body of Christ. Number two, he's filling the church with gifts for ministry. He's filling the church with gifts for ministry. Some of these members of the church must equip the church. You see that in verse 11? Are you looking at your Bible? Verse 11 says this again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So some members must equip the church. So if there's something I want to fix at the house or something you want to repair, a car or whatever it might be, and you don't know how to do it, I know there's several people in the church I can call who's got a garage and so forth. I can call Gary and say, Gary, I know Gary's got a bunch of tools. Let me borrow that. So he can equip me to do the work I need to do. And sometimes there's some things I may have the tools to do, but... I just don't know how to do it. I've never done it before. So what do you do? You call somebody. I call Gary or Andy or, so, or one of you guys or one of, me, one of you ladies and say, hey, how do you do this? Come and show me how to do this. Equip me. Teach me how to do this. Or if I can't find anybody, I might get on YouTube. Man, I fix, how many of you fix things on YouTube sometimes? You know, YouTube's real helpful. I get on YouTube and, and Google it and or I watch the video a few times. I'll pause it, go back, start working, come back, unpause it, you know, and go through the whole process till I finally get it done. It may take me hours, but that YouTube video is equipping me to do it. So, the job of these officers in the church, 
These, these apostles and prophets, for example, they're the foundational gifts of the church. The foundational officers of the church. It's debated whether or not they continue or not. Uh, but they are foundational in the sense that God spoke through them. Once a foundation is laid, it don't need to be laid again. So it seems to me that there's no need for apostles and prophets anymore in the church, even though God may still work in some way through a gift of prophecy, which is very mysterious to me. But it also says he's given what? The evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. These evangelists, shepherds, and teachers all have a teaching gift, a ministry gift. And so what's implied here is that these that it's talking about in that verse are the elders or the pastors of the church. They're the ones to do the equipping of the church. And I spoke a lot about that last Sunday. So some members of the church are to equip the church. Equip the saints. You notice what it says there? Equip who? The saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? Well, again, I've mentioned this several times whenever we come to it. The saints are not a special group of people, all right, apart from other believers. You are special because you're set apart in Christ. All believers are saints. And so what, what, what has happened here is God has said, some of these saints, some of these believers, some of these Christians, I'm going to call out for myself to be these spiritual leaders in the church. They have special gifts that the church needs, that the church is lacking, and so they need to exercise those gifts so the church is built up. Now, there's some implications here for us as a church real quick. What should be the expectations of these spiritual leaders, of these pastors and elders? Well, our, our expectations ought to be biblical, not that they're supermen and they can be everywhere for everything and do everything, but their primary focus needs to be to equip the church. And that primarily means preaching the Word of God and teaching the Word of God. It also means that if a church, if, if it's critical for the growth of the church, in the health of the church, that we have ministers that are equipping the church, we really need to be careful that we're calling out people in the church who have those giftings and have those callings. That's one reason I asked Ryan Horrell to preach a couple Sundays ago. I began, began to recognize him with some other men in the church who have teaching gifts, preaching gifts, and meeting with them and giving opportunities. So a lot of times when I'm out of the pulpit, I don't ask somebody from outside the church to come and preach, even though I do that. I've got somebody, uh, Nick uh, is coming here in three, two or three weeks. Uh, Nick Fisher is going to come and, and preach and, and for us, and uh, Kirk Smith is going to come in January. But, but normally I ask somebody within the church to preach because we need to be equipping them to equip later on if God should call them into the ministry. They may not, but they can at least be blessed. And I believe that's a thing we should be doing. Some members must equip the church with those gifts, but every member must work to build up the church. Every member, listen, every member must work to build up the church. Do you see that in that passage of Scripture? Is Pastor Steve making that up? Look at verse 12. Notice what it says. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Who's to do the work of ministry? The saints are. Now, pastors and teachers, evangelists, all those that have these teaching gifts who are elders and pastors, they're, they're to do the work of ministry too. Their work looks a little different in their equipping responsibility. But everybody's to do the work of ministry. All of us are to be involved. And that, that's really one of the key takeaways from the message this morning is, is the entire involvement of the body of Christ. Every member working together, living our life together and growing together. So it may have been in this church in, in the past days, and, and I know at churches I've been in, and we've had church work days at times. Where uh, last church I was at in Kansas City, we had a buildings and grounds committee that took care of the building. A lot of these men had special skills. You know, they could work good with their hands, and but they couldn't do everything themselves. So occasionally they would plan a church work day. And the ladies would come and work too and clean up certain things in certain parts of the building and have lunch for us. And it was a big, big old day. 
And those uh, trustees or buildings and grounds folks, they'd have a list of things to be done and they'd have things they'd be equipping folks to do and and use uh, with paintbrushes and so forth. And if somebody didn't know how to do something, one of those guys that did would come along and show them how to do it and say, there there you go, now do it. Well, that's kind of how it's supposed to be here. Uh, What is it that the church is to make every effort to do and to be eager to do? Look at verse 3. Verse 3 in your Bible says this. We are to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So what this means is there needs to be some maintenance going on on the church body, not just the church building, but the church body that everybody's involved in. And some have different responsibilities than others. So let me just ask you this question this morning, just pose this to you. Uh, How do you know what your gift is, your gift in your place? Let me just encourage you just to serve. Uh, Find... Sometimes people say, well, they're just waiting around for somebody to ask them. And so many times we stand up here and we say, hey, we need, well, there's a need here and there's a need there. And, and, uh, and we'll just, just come and ask. Talk to me and we'll, we'll try to get you plugged in somewhere. What's God doing to fulfill His vision and plan for Christ and His church and First Baptist Church? He's filling the earth with the body of Christ. He's filling the church with gifts for ministry. He's, he's, he's given you a gift for ministry to use to serve so this church will grow. Church won't grow like it should if you're not serving, if you're not involved. Thirdly, he's fi- a part of this vision is filling the sanctuary with growing believers. Filling the sanctuary with growing believers. I want you to look at verse 13 before I revisit that point I just made. Notice what verse 13 says. until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice it says in verse 13, until, how long? Until we all attain. So what I want to point out to you here is this work that we're all to be involved in in growing the church is a continual work, a continual work. Now why is it that the church needs to continually be doing this maintenance of the church body itself? We know we need to be on the mission field we want to engage lost people, but why is it we also need to be inward focused and in building one another up? Because of immaturity and instability. Two reasons. Immaturity and instability. Look at verse 14. Here's, it says right here in verse 14, are you looking at your Bible? So that we may no longer be what? Children. We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Immaturity. So we no longer be children. In verse 13, it talks about growing into this full stature and measure according to Christ, this, 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 this spiritual growth, this maturity. The church needs to continually build itself up because of immaturity and because of instability. Notice it says in verse 14 that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Yesterday, I took my children fishing while the ladies were having their, their ministry meeting here. And we stayed out for a long time. It was very windy outside. At least we were at fishing in this pond. And, and while we were there, you can see my kids fishing there. Uh, they all kind of bundled up. Lydia got her hands cold at one point and said, Dad, my fingers are bendy. And I said, well, it's because your hands are cold. You know, She didn't understand why her fingers were bendy. And so while we were fishing, uh, Lydia and Titus, they had a, a bobber, you know, a floater. You know what that is? They had a floater or a bobber on their fishing line out there in the water. 
and, uh, and, the, and, and trying to fish with it. And you know how it is trying to teach a kid to fish, especially when it's windy using a floater bobber. That little wind comes along and just blows that bobber and that floater all over the place. And the repeated phrase that I used throughout our couple of two and a half hours there was, reel up your slack, reel up your slack. You know what I'm talking about? When you're using a floater or a bobber, you can't have a lot of slack. You've got to have a little tension on there because of a fish bites and you jerk and you got slack in there. That fish ain't going to do nothing to that fish. And it took about an hour before they, they finally get it. And finally, Lydia caught a couple. And then she caught some by herself. I heard this little voice come out. I think I've got a picture of Titus up here too. There's Titus. He, he finally caught one after about an hour and a half. I heard this little voice go, Daddy! I, I got it. I got it. And so I had to take this picture to be go face. And Lydia's in the same thing. And she caught a couple more and even took it off a hook by herself. And I was so amazed by this. Now, here's, here's, here's why I'm using that illustration. Believers are easily carried along like a sailboat or a, or a fishing barber or a lure by the wind. You see that in verse 14? By every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness. There's no stability. There's no firmness there. Immature believers are like that floater on the water. There's, they're not weighty enough in the gospel to discern or withstand false teaching. It's like someone playing a card game and they've got a card up their sleeve. They're tricking you. That's the same word for trickery that's used here. There's people in the world that will trick immature believers who are unstable in faith, who are not discerning enough to recognize something is not good for them. And they need somebody to come along and say, reel up your slack, reel up your slack, you're slacking off here. They need somebody to come along and point out what it is they're not doing. And that's the church. It's not just the pastor. That's the church that comes along and participates in that responsibility. Immature, unstable believers, they don't have enough discernment to know what's happening to them. So let me make this statement to you before I... Move on. God doesn't want a crowd like the world. He wants a family like His Son. I hope you understand that. God doesn't want a crowd like a world, like the world has at any sporting event or something or a concert. He wants a family like His Son. Notice what it says in verse 15. Look at your Bible. Rather, speaking the truth in love... We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. What's God want to happen in the church? That we grow up in Christ. We grow up into the head. We grow in Christ's likeness. I want you to imagine this for a moment. I want you to imagine this sanctuary filled to capacity. I mean, I know we'd all, we'd all love that, wouldn't we? Just, just filled, just overflowing with people. Our vision is not to fill this sanctuary, this worship center, with only mature believers. No. We want to see people begin with the gospel, right? Get born again. So that means you're going to have a variation. You're going to have some people that are very immature, very young in the faith. So here's the thing. It's not that we want everybody to be mature, and you shouldn't be here if you're not a mature believer. We don't want people to remain immature. So the way we do church is so that people get saved and born again and they grow in Christ. They don't remain in young believers. They, they grow and they, they're strengthened. They become strong believers and are able to help others and serve in the life of the church. 
So the church must not be filled with believers who remain immature. We want to see all, all this church filled, but not just filled like a crowd. And notice I didn't just say, we want to see this church filled with unbelievers. Why is that? For two reasons. We want unbelievers to, to attend First Baptist Church, right? And hear the gospel every Sunday. Invite people by all means. But we don't want to, to entertain them so that they'll keep coming. And, and if we're not careful, that can often happen. At the expense of equipping the church. We're here this morning to worship and equip the church. And the second reason that point's important is because our vision is to begin with the gospel, connect them with the church, grow in faith, and engage them on their mission fields. We're supposed to go to unbelievers. We're not to, we're not to build the church and say, okay, let's build it and hope they come. We're not to have this attractional model of church growth where we have all these programs and all these wonderful things going on, and we just hope people come. And I mean, we've got some great programs. We've got some great things going on. Amen? But... The vision of the local church is that we go out there. We're built up here and we go out there and bring them in to Christ. Not just to the church building, but to Jesus Christ. That's the vision. So I envision a church where we have healthy members growing. Everybody's growing in faith, growing in Christ, engaging their mission fields, and seeing people grow in Christ and be strong believers. So how do we do that? A church family that's not just a crowd grows in Christ-likeness through discipleship. Notice what verse 15 says at the beginning of it. If you're looking at your Bible there, it says, Rather speaking the truth in love. So rather than, rather than deceive people or make people hear, let, let them hear what they want to hear like the false teachers are doing in verse 14, rather we speak the truth in love. Now what does that mean? There's three things implied there. I'm going to go through very quickly. Number one, believers must know the truth. We speak the truth in love. The pastor needs to do that. But folks, this is addressed to every person in the church. Every person here needs to be speaking the truth in love to one another if the church is to be healthy. That means everybody here needs to know what the truth of the gospel is. That's the reason our Bible studies and our preaching and everything needs to be centered around the Word. And I'm so thankful that it is. Secondly, believers must know what it means to love. What does it mean to really love somebody? Does it mean that yet you coddle that person? Is it like the unloving parent that never disciplines their wayward child because they want to be liked so much by their child? No, you know what happens if you coddle a baby and coddle a baby and never try to, never try to bring it along and suddenly you've got this, this teenager that's never, it's always been babied all their life, or a young adult for that matter. Now, sometimes that can happen in the church because we're afraid if we, if we don't give a little meat, you know, if we, don't, if we, just, if we just keep giving, giving them milk, they'll just keep coming and we'll ha- make them happy and, and, you know, and everything and never say anything too harsh and, and, and all you've got is a coddled baby. Believers must know what it means to love a crowd of believers won't grow in Christ-likeness, folks, if it's merely managed or coddled like a baby. Times of tribulation are going to come in our lives, right? Some of you got it going on in your life right now, don't you? The winds and waves of false doctrine blowing all the time out there in the world, continually. And sometimes it's too late to realize that the loving thing to do 
was to go to somebody and tell them the truth about what's going on in their life, to speak the truth in love. To speak the truth in love sometimes means to say hard things to one another. Say, I love you, but what you're doing is wrong. To speak the truth in love, maybe it's not confrontational at all. It's just saying, meeting with a believer and and encouraging them in the gospel because you know the truth. You're you're just reminding them, listen, you know God's sovereign. Yeah, I know that. I just need to be reminded of that, right? We need that. We need to do that for one another. And it's not just the pastor's responsibility. I hope you see that in the passage of Scripture. Until we understand that every member is to be engaged in speaking the truth in love and helping the body grow in Christ, then we're not going to be as strong as we could. I'm so thankful that many of you are fully engaged in this kind of work and church work. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What is it believers are supposed to do for one another? Exhort one another day after day so that no one is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you hear that? Are are you listening? Believers are to exhort one another day after day so that no one's hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Speaking the truth in love means believers must know the truth and believers need to know what it means to love. Love them with the truth. Thirdly, believers must must know one another. If believers are to speak the truth in love to one another, believers must know one another, right? Well, that requires a context to know each other. Now, in the early church, let me ask you a question. Where did they meet? They met in homes, not because of biblical requirement, but because of contextual necessity. They were persecuted. They didn't have big buildings. They met in homes. And when you're meeting in somebody's home, you're going to know them. Sometimes too, all too well. It's just like family, right? Sometimes we're at a welcome. And so bearing with one another and, and forgiving one another and being patient with one another is a really real thing when you're meeting each other's homes daily or weekly. Now in our day, our context is different. We don't have to meet in homes because of persecution. So we meet in this big building here. How is it that we're going to speak the truth and love to one another if all we do is meet in a big building one time a Sunday. It's going to happen to some extent before the service, after the service, as we sing songs together and see the expressions on one another's faces. It happens to an extent, but not like it could. So it requires a context. So here's an important question that's in your bulletin. that will be up here. I want you to think about for a moment before we close in prayer in a little bit. How do we keep from being an unaccountable crowd of informal friendships where no one is formally responsible for anybody else, and where each person is left to define the gospel and gospel faithfulness for himself. Mark Dever writes in his book, Discipling. How do we keep from being just this crowd of loosely connected people, in other words? How do we do that? We've got to have a context for it. And so what context have, has God led, led this church to have for a long time where people can speak the truth to one another? in a more intentional and formal way. The answer to that question for our church right now is the best way to fill our sanctuary, folks, is to fill our Sunday school classes in our small groups. That's the best way. It's not the only way. I'm saying that, that's, the most, that's the structured way we have it as a church family. 
So that's the reason in membership classes, when I'm getting to this point, talking about a growing in discipleship, I tell folks, look, and folks, by the way, assuming this person's schedule allows them, that if you're going to join, if you're thinking about joining the church, then then you need to you need to be you need to come to Sunday school or a small group that's made up a part of this church family, because you're saying by becoming a member here that you want to hold each other accountable. You know, I've already explained that in membership class. You want to serve one another, so so be ready to commit to one of those areas. And uh, let me just celebrate with you for a moment. A lot of times we don't see a lot of the good things that the Lord is doing. God's doing some wonderful things in our church family. I'm looking around and I'm seeing some faces this morning of people that have come to Christ just in the past year and whom God is working. I'm seeing Kevin and Rhiannon sitting over there and knowing how God's worked in their life and, and uh, seeing Kevin get involved in Sunday school and he got invited to a small group and, and just, just growing like crazy. Loving Jesus and their families being impacted by it too. Well, man, that excites me. And uh, let me just make it real clear again on small groups. I've heard people murmur a little bit. I, I, I guess I just have to keep repeating myself. If you want to be involved in a small group, all you've got to do is let me know. <laughs> we started some small groups informally in people's homes and other, th- other places. And some of the first people were invited were people that we looked around and thought, People got put on our heart, and we thought, well, that person's either a brand-new believer uh, or, or they just really seem to be loosely connected, and, and, and we want to invite those, those people, okay? And, and so not everybody's got invited that maybe fits that category. But So what, what we've said is if you want to be involved in one of those groups, please let us know. And by the way, we've got other groups like uh, Annie Weir's op- it's an open Bible study on Tuesday nights that you ladies can come to if that works for your schedule. Uh, Gina uh, Johnson leads a Bible study on Wednesday nights, Precepts Bible Study for Women. I lead a, the O-Ring on Wednesday nights where a few guys come, and we have good Bible study, and we talk about our lives together there. And, then, and so there's and these other groups as well. If you're interested in being a part of, please, and rather than sit back and say, well, why are they doing all this secret stuff? Well, quit, quit whining. You know, if you want to be involved in something, just, just, just come and ask, and we'll try to get you plugged in. We'd love for you to be plugged in. We'll start another group if we need to, but let's do that. So what I encourage you to do, if, if, if the way to fill the sanctuary is to fill our small groups and Sunday school classes, at least in our current structure, then those of you involved in Sunday school and in those small groups, invite people. Invite people to come to those studies, those small groups. Invite them to come to your Sunday school class. Be on the lookout for folks that, that, are, that are in our church family, maybe even here this morning, that you could invite to your Sunday school class. Or, or maybe even just invite to go out for a meal. Have a meal. Not only should we be inviting people to these ways of growing in Christ, but, but just a culture of discipleship. You know somebody's struggling? Then... It don't have to be, let's meet one-on-one for the next six months and go through the gospel of Mark. It could be. That's wonderful. Some of that's going on in our church, and it's great. I get excited when I hear that. It excites me. But it could also be, hey, just this week, Thursday, are you free for lunch? Let's meet Thursday, and let's just, let's just get together and pray. That's discipleship, folks. We need to do that if we're going to grow as a body of Christ. And it excites me, and a lot of the things I see happening in our church in that way, I see good things happening. I'm thankful for it. But folks, let me remind you, it requires every member. And so I'll close by looking at verse 16 quickly. It says, From the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part's working properly, makes the body grow. You see, each part needs to work properly. So everything I've shared with you this morning, it means this. 
If the body of Christ, this local church, is to grow like it should, it means every single person here that's a believer, especially those of you that committed yourself in membership, you need to be involved in the body of Christ. So glad everybody's here this morning. So glad you're attending the church. But we are called more than just attending the church service, right? Some of us are places where we can't, physically able, different situations. But for those of us that are, you're called to more than just just coming to church on Sunday mornings and listening to the sermon. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so the end goal here is where verse 16 says we're to build up the body of Christ in love. So let's do that. Let's be involved and serve one another by speaking truth in one another's life. If you're not in a Sunday school class or a small group, make a commitment to try one out or say, Pastor, show me where I can get plugged in. None of that fits my schedule. Maybe we can try to work something out. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer with me this morning. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer and follower in Jesus Christ and never trusted in Him. The Bible commands you to repent and trust in the Lord Jesus. You can't take away your sin by your works or by baptism or anything else, but by only trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. One day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And our prayer is that God's bringing that kind of repentance and faith about in your heart this morning. We'd love to talk with you about it. We invite you to come this morning as we're singing this song, or we can talk with you afterwards. I stand at the back door. You can get my attention, but you be sure and hunt us down. Father, right now we want to, after hearing this sermon, we want to stop and pray and acknowledge that you're the sovereign king of the universe and you rule and reign over all things. You're filling the earth with the body of Christ, with the church. We know we look at the world and a lot of times it don't seem like it and all the mess that's going on. But Father, you are. And one day that work will be complete when Jesus comes. Father, help us to live in anticipation of that day. Help us to be the church. Just like your word says. Thank you for what you're doing among us. We pray for unbelievers in our midst and unbelievers that we know to be saved for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand this morning and we're going to sing this song together. If you'd like to come and pray or talk with me as we're singing about anything at all, you come as we're singing together. Let's stand together. My 
What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.